If you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at a glorious passage um, this morning together. Starting in verse 35 to the end of the chapter. Let me read that for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Well, Father, would you help us? Help us to digest this amazing truth, to experience this love, to embrace this love, to give you praise for it, to glorify your name as we reflect upon it. Help help us to apply it to our lives, to take it with us in our everyday life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We all have fears of various kinds that we face in life, various phobias that we might have. I remember as a young child, one of my first phobias was spiders. Um, I don't know how I came across this movie, but I remember this movie playing a pivotal role in this phobia. Uh, This would have been probably the early 80s, and the movie was probably from the 70s, but it had tarantula in it of some sort, in the title. And I remember this, you know, tarantulas taking over the town, people waking up, they're in their bed, and it just freaked me out as a child. And it's, it's always scared me. And I could never walk, you know, back in the mall, back in those days when they used to have a pet store in the mall, I couldn't even go down the aisle with the, with the spiders. Um, and then later, my phobia shifted into snakes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, one key uh, moment with that was a number of, a few years ago, the previous house we lived in, we had a refrigerator in the, in the garage. And one summer day, I went out to get something from the fridge out there, and about five feet in front of me was this huge black snake. And to me, it seemed like a king cobra of sorts, <laughs> not a harmless black snake. And that thing looked at me and rose up off the ground a little bit, and I, I thought I was just going to lose it. And uh, ran back in the house. And thankfully, it, it got out of the garage, so I didn't have to fish it out or anything. But, you know, re- talking about phobias of different kinds, whatever that is for you, it reminds me of the Charlie Brown Christmas episode. If you remember this, uh, where Lucy is in her psychiatry booth. And Charlie Brown lingers over to that booth, and she says, What's your trouble? And he says, I'm depressed. And she says, let's try to pinpoint your fears and put a label on it. 
Do you have fear of responsibility? Fear of cats? Fear of the ocean? Bridges? And then she pauses and says, Do you have pantophobia? He's like, What's that? Fear of everything. That's it, he says. And she falls off her chair. Maybe you feel that way today in some form or fashion. You name it, whatever it is in life is a source of fear, anxiety, and worry. Maybe you're in difficult circumstances. Maybe you're coming here this morning with some fear, some worry, anxiety. I want to encourage you this morning uh, with this. That God is in tune with your fears. He knows we are susceptible to fear. Think about how often in the scriptures he tells us not to fear. Do not be afraid. One of the many wonderful blessings of our salvation in Christ, the way the scriptures speak of it, is that God tells us that his people, you know, one of the blessings will be that none shall make them afraid. You find that over and over again in the prophets. None shall make them afraid. And that brings us to our passage this morning. A text which addresses a number of fears that we may have. And fears that we may feel currently concerning our relationship with God. Now, though this is a famous text, a wonderful text, it's one of the hardest to digest because one of the most clear truths in all of Scripture is that God loves us in Christ with an everlasting love. We just sung wonderful hymns and songs about it. Yet we struggle our whole lives to come to grips with it, to believe it, to embrace it. I heard one pastor say that his entire ministry could be summed up in two ways. Trying to convince unbelievers that they're sinners, and trying to convince believers that they are forgiven and that they are loved by God. Why is that? It seems so clear in Scripture. Why do we struggle? And I want to challenge you again as we get into this text that this is a favorite text for many of us. Something we put on a refrigerator, something we put on a note card somewhere in our house. But I want you to think about it as something you take with you daily into your everyday experience that you preach to yourself, that you, that you make effort to believe and to take God at His Word. So let's look at our text this morning and begin with the question in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You know, in verses 31 through 34, we've been addressing these rhetorical questions that Paul raises. And on one level, as Pastor Weldon has pointed out, they're unanswerable questions. In that, the only answer is nothing or no one. However, on another level, the answer is very clear. The answer is very definite to these questions. And these questions actually cut to the heart of some of our deepest fears in the Christian life. For example, 
in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? This cuts to the heart of the fear of opposition to our faith, to our salvation. You know, if God gives his only son, how will he not also give us everything that we need? Verse 32. This cuts to the heart of the fear that God will somehow not provide something that you need for your salvation, for your life. And then perhaps the most pointed question, who will condemn? In verses 33 and 34, the fear of condemnation. Perhaps, yes, Christ loved me back then when he died for me, but there may be a point when he's had enough. The fear of condemnation. And the answers are very clear. Paul gives us a gospel truth uh, for each one of these, that God is for us. That's without question. God will provide. He will surely, if he's given the greatest gift, will he not give a lesser gift? In terms of condemnation, no charge can stick against God's elect in Christ. So we come to verses 35 through 39, a sort of a climax to Paul's line of rhetorical questions. Not only are we legally justified before him, we are also loved by him with an everlasting love. In other words, when we're saved by God, we don't just shift into a neutral position before him a sort of legal justification only. We're in a deeply loved relationship with God in Christ. Think of all the ways that Scripture speaks of that love. A husband to a wife, a father to a child. This goes way beyond a mere contractual or legal relationship. And as we sung about earlier, he didn't hold anything back. He is all in in loving us in Christ. So this raises the question for us this morning, what fears might Paul implicitly be uh, what, Paul, what Paul might implicitly be addressing in saying that nothing can separate us from his love? If we look at what follows, we'll see what amounts to spiritual pantophobia. Just about everything is encompassed in these categories, bringing all the previous questions to their logical and glorious end. So what are these things and these potential fears that they can elicit? Well, he starts off in the second half of verse 35 talking about some very personal things. Almost all the words he uses to describe these various experiences, the difficulties, the sufferings, are taken from his own experience. If you look in 2 Corinthians, you'll see this. Experiences that he faced in ministering the gospel and facing opposition. But as we go through this list, I want you to consider how your fears connect with these experiences so that we can see the solution to them together. He begins with some generic terms referring to tribulation and distress. Some scholars have pointed out that perhaps he's referring to tribulation from without, outside forces, 
or turmoil from within, an inner distress, whatever it is, inner or outer, uh, these things that we face, famine, nakedness, lack of food and clothing, kind of gets back to the provision fear that I mentioned earlier. And then he, he goes on to say, persecution, danger, and the sword. These all speak of the opposition that Christians face in this world, this fallen world. And it's indicative of the enmity that's there between the unbeliever and the believer that we've seen from the very beginning. Cain and Abel, after the fall, on down to this present day. Don't, don't be deceived into thinking that that enmity, the nature of that enmity, doesn't exist today. I mean, we see it in various forms. Sometimes in our country, we don't see it as blatant as in others. But the enmity has not changed. The same enmity that caused Cain to kill his brother is there. And he mentions the sword, which kind of segues into this quotation from Psalm 44, verse 22. Basically, persecution is the norm for Christians in this world. Again, America is kind of an anomaly in that sense. Though we do face persecution in different ways, we're just not being put to death publicly, perhaps. But extra caution is required for us in this environment that we find ourselves in. We can get lulled into a spiritual sleep and think that there is no battle out there. And we forget also to pray for our brothers and sisters who are being put to death in other countries. So we need to be awakened to the sense of urgency here. And he says in this quote that they are like sheep to the slaughter. In other words, they're like Christ, the lamb to the slaughter. Jesus connects our suffering with his and the persecution we face. In John 15, he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. But then he has an encouraging word in Matthew chapter 5 speaking to those who belong to the kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And one thing I want to point out to us to beware of in the midst of suffering and trials and tribulation, turmoil that we face, that this is where the enemy seeks to attack. You see, one of his most common tactics in the face of these sufferings is to get us to draw false conclusions about our state and about our experience. And the primary one is this, that God does not love you. If God really loved you, He would not put you through all this, He whispers. Yet even from the immediate context of our passage this morning, we know that God works all things for good to conform us to the image of Christ, which is our greatest good. 
and our greatest need. And from other texts, we know clearly that though we suffer abundant affliction, we also experience abundant comfort from the God of all comfort and encouragement, the Father of mercies. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, points out that Christians need to be able to not just listen to ourselves, but to talk to ourselves. And what he means by that is that we don't just listen to our thoughts and the various things that pass through our minds, fears, whispers like I just read earlier, but we need to preach what God says in his word to ourselves in those moments. Preach the gospel to ourselves. Take those thoughts captive. What is the truth? Who am I listening to? These types of questions. And I want to make a a quick book recommendation for you. We have this book down in the Resource Center. If you haven't been there, it's down in the office lobby. There's a couple bookshelves up against the wall over there. And we have this particular book that's recommended. It's an old book by Puritan Thomas Brooks entitled Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And in this book, he helps you to do just that. Preach God's word to yourself in the face of temptation. He, he catalogs about 40 or so different ways, different devices that the enemy uses to tempt people and believers in particular. And then he provides some scriptural remedies to those temptations. So I want to recommend that to you. It looks like this. By the way, it's just a little paperback book. Now, in the process of expressing the clear answer to the question that he's raised at the beginning of verse 35, Paul mentions more categories that tempt us to fear. We see this in verse 38 and 39. He mentions death and life. Perhaps one of the most pervasive fears that most of us face is the fear of death. Either our own death or the death of loved ones, those in our family. Maybe it's the unknown aspects of it. Maybe it's the thought of going through that experience, the pain. You feel the whole idea just makes you feel out of control. Who... How can you be in control when you're passing away from this life? And I'll tell you, death can really expose your unbelief. Perhaps unbelief that you were unaware of through your life. But when you face this, it can really expose where your heart is. However, remember what God has said. He has taken out the sting of death. So that Paul can say to die is gain. It's better to die and be with the Lord. You know, God leads us through this life as our shepherd, and he takes us by the hand and leads us into eternity. And Christ, your forerunner, has gone before you in death. He has gone that path ahead of you. He has prepared a place for you. And he's even gone deeper into death than you and I ever will. 
He suffered the wrath of God for us. We'll never go that deep. He's already been there. You won't go to a place or pass through a stage of life into death and beyond that Christ himself has not gone ahead of you and prepared. What about life? Does life scare you to death? You think about all the stresses of life, the unknowns. What's going to happen to me? Maybe you struggle to have the energy to keep going with the things that you face in your life. And then he goes on to talk about the unseen spiritual realm. He mentions angels, principalities, and powers. Is that a cause of fear to you? The unseen, the unseen spiritual realm, things that are obviously out of your control. But not, has not Christ triumphed over those powers? Colossians chapter 2 and other places. Verse 31 from, our, from a previous uh, sermon on this passage. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's the creator. He's the God of the universe. There's no power greater than he. And then he goes on to mention things present or things to come. How many of us fear the future? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my children? What's going to happen to my aging parents? What's going to happen with my job, my career? What if I fail in the future? What if I mess things up? Sometimes we even have a fear that even if things seem to be good in the present, that God is setting us up for a fall. And that at some point he will pull the rug out and will fall. Let me just tell you that that is a lie. That is not the voice of God in the scriptures speaking of himself. You wouldn't do that to your own children, would you? Set them up for a fall just so you can watch them fall. Didn't Jesus say that if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? He doesn't give us harmful gifts that destroy us. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Time can't separate us from God's love, whether present sufferings, future uncertainties, or even past abuses or tragedies. That can't separate you from the love of God in Christ. Lastly, he mentions the categories of height and depth. Maybe you fear being alone being left alone with no one present. Or you feel far from God. Whether in heaven above or in earth below, 
even if you settle on the far side of the sea or sink to the depths of the sea like Jonah did, even there his loving hand will guide you. In fact, he has described his love in similar dimensions, similar categories in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 3, Paul prays that the believers may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You know, that would be a great prayer for you to pray in response to this text. Because as I said earlier, Many of us struggle to receive, believe, and embrace this kind of love. We need God's help. We need God's help to take it in, to understand it, and to apply it. So time nor space can separate us from his love. So what is God's answer to all of these fears? The solution is... if pretty obvious at this point. In verses 37 through 39, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now he mentions a couple things here I want to highlight. One is that we are more than conquerors, he says. Now what does this mean? Well, not only do these hardships and forces that he mentions not hurt us, or prove that we are not loved, they actually work together for our good in the hand of our loving Father. Note the connection between verse 28 and 37. All things, and in these things. That means that trials and tribulations are not evidence of separation from God's love, but rather a means to draw us near to Him in love. And then he goes on to say, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Again, that past tense love is probably referring uh, primarily to the love demonstrated at the cross when he died for us, demonstrated in the past. However, in this passage, it's also clear that Christ is loving us now. He loves you now as he intercedes for you. And he always lives to make intercession for you. Now, you may be following Paul's logic to this point. But you have perhaps one nagging fear to all of this. Okay, all of that stuff can't separate me from the love of God. But what if I can separate myself from the love of God? First of all, I ask, Are you not in the category that Paul mentions, nor anything else in all of creation? Are you not a creation of God? God in Christ, and this is one of the most glorious truths of the gospel, God in Christ has saved us from ourselves. We are new creations, we have new hearts. We cannot separate ourselves from his love. There is no loophole in this argument. There's no fine print to discover otherwise. 
Now, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels is the incident where Simon Peter and others are fishing all night and they don't catch anything. And Jesus shows up and he says, cast again out in the deep. And of course they do, not, probably not expecting much. And they get this multitude of fish. What does Simon Peter do? Well, he senses that he is in the presence of God incarnate. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And what does Jesus say? You know, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter basically is saying, in, in the language from our, our text today, I deserve to be separated from your love. What does Jesus say? Do not be afraid. From, from now on you will be catching men. And we know from Peter's life recorded in the Gospels that he had many other stumbles. Some pretty serious ones. Denying the Lord three times. Yet that not, did not even separate him from Christ's love. You know, we're often tempted to not accept his love because we think we haven't loved him good enough in return. In response to that, I ask you, does God say to us that he loves us because we first loved him? Or is it the other way around? Our salvation is hid with Christ on high. And we are not able to take it down into our own hands and mess it up. And destroy it. There is no more payment for sin. His sacrifice is once and for all. There is no danger of a future condemnation. This is clear from our passage and many others. Doesn't Jesus say to us that all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out? And no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. Notice also how he connects the Father's love with the love of Christ. Kind of bookending this passage in verse 35 and 39. You see, it was the Father's will from all eternity to demonstrate his love for us in Christ. We see that back in Romans 5 verse 8. In other words, there's no contradiction between the Father's loving disposition to us, toward us and the Son's intercession for us. They're completely together in unison in this love. So the answer is clear. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all of creation. Think about what, what does that leave? That leaves the Creator. And He's already said He's for us. Think about how a how offensive it would be for us to look at all of this and say, nah, I don't think so. I don't think God loves me that way. Isn't it clear? Hasn't he demonstrated it? Believe it. Take him at his word. And where does that leave you this morning? 
What is your fear today before God? Or perhaps you have many fears. You have pantophobia. You fear most of everything that Paul mentions in this text. The solution to our fears is not found in us. It is only found in knowing the divine love. The love that's known through Jesus Christ by faith. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We stand in awe of your great love that surpasses knowledge. Lord, would you help us even this day for it to sink into our hearts, for us to appreciate it, for us to use your word to preach to ourselves when we're tempted to believe otherwise. May you grow us in this appreciation of your love and may you get all the glory and the praise in response to it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.